Revelation says that uh, as, as John had this vision and he said who can open the scroll and, and, then, and said don't worry the lion of the tribe of Judah can, can, can do this and he turns and instead of seeing a lion he sees a lamb our, our God is the lion and the lamb it's a great picture because I'm a broken sinner but also the Bible says I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ so we have this this dual thing and it's 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 great when we recognize that uh, and so this morning I'm uh, just glad that you're here and worship with us at Northside. Uh, right now, we're going to take the uh, opportunity to greet one another. So find somebody and, and let them know that you are excited that they are in the house of God this morning.
like having church. You like having church? Yeah, I like coming to church. That's exciting. That's exciting. Hey, um, all right, I'm going to need just a, a few volunteers, maybe three or four volunteers. You don't even know what you're volunteering for. But okay, if you want to. All right, I, give me, you, you three come right up here in front of me here, and then I've got these little cards in my hand. you got to draw a card out, okay? You have to stand up. You, you know, you, this is the time to participate. All right, come on over around here. I want you to look at it, but don't show anybody, okay? Just you look at it yourself, okay? All right. So you pull one. Don't show anybody. Hannah, don't try to look. Pull one. Got it? All right. You all want one, too? Okay. There you go. And then you get one. All right. Now, oh, that's good. That's good. Now, one at a time, one at a time. Everybody, everybody sit down, and we'll just have one person just stand it up. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, Hannah, you want to go first? All right, now don't tell us what is on your card, but you've got to act out whatever it is that's on your card. You can, you can make noises, you can act it out, but go. We've got to try to guess it. Hey, does anybody want to guess what's on our card? What, what's your guess? Are you a frog? Good job. You're a quiet frog. That was good. All right. Who's next? Who's next? All right. You go. Let's see what. All right. Act out what's on yours. You can make you can make a sound if you need to. Anybody want to guess? A what dog, is it? A dog. A dog. A dog. All right. Good job. Good job. Okay. One more time. Okay. What is it? A rooster or a chicken? Is that what it is? Hey, it's a turkey. You know what? <laughs> Feathers. Good enough. All right. You want to try? You're doing cock-a-doodle-doo too? I bet it's not a turkey. We want to guess, anybody? A chicken. A chicken. Yeah, it's a chicken. All right. All right. Now, our last two guys will... Meow. What? Is that what you have? A cat? All right. And then last one. Okay. Oh, boy. This one's tough. What is it? Did you say eat more chicken? Oh, all right. All right. Good job. Good job. You guys did an excellent job. Man. Yeah, I'm put all of them back in my pocket right there. All right. Hey, listen. You guys did a good job acting of you, uh, you made the sounds, and you did such a good job that we got most of them, we got to work on our turkey call a little bit, but we got most of them, right, but let me ask you this, just because you sound like the animal, or maybe even you walk around on all fours, does that mean that you're really a cow, or a dog, or a chicken, I guess on all twos would be a chicken, does that really make you one of those animals, no, you're just, you're, you're really, you're really just a boy or a girl, right, you're, you're really just, really just a human. Well, listen, look at me, look at me. Sometimes we come to church and we think, hey, if I go to church and if I read my Bible and if I just say the right things, then I'm a Christian. But you know what? We can, we can say the right things and we can behave the right way, but that's not the only thing that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're a Christian. Just like, just because you sound like a, a frog doesn't mean that you're a frog. So listen, 
look at me. The choir just sang a song about the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we call it the Holy Ghost, sometimes we call it the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit has come and changed your life and changed your heart, you're not a Christian. And so what all we have to do is admit to God that we're sinners and repent, turn away from that sin and trust Jesus and follow him. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and it changes our life and, and comes and, and lives inside of us. And that's how we can know that we're Christians. Also to that point, we can get together and have a meeting of a bunch of people, but if the Holy Spirit's not here, it's not really church. It's just a group of people that got together. So, let's pray. Father, we can certainly we can certainly make uh, these different animal noises or sounds, and we can behave like that, but that doesn't mean that's who we really are. We're not really cats and dogs and pigs and frogs. And, but God, sometimes we can we can maybe act like a Christian, but that doesn't mean we're really a Christian either. So, Father, I pray that everybody in this place, these boys and girls as well as, as all the adults here, will come to understand what it really means to be a Christian when we live our life according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray.
are still in the book of Acts, and last week we were discussing the ascension and the significance of the ascension as it pertains to our lives, as it pertains to really the whole world, because we see Jesus Christ enthroned as the, as the king, as the eternal king, and all of the uh, power and authority that rests with him, and how he's putting all of his enemies under his feet, and we, we, see, we, we see Christ ascended and, and risen, and to the men who were standing around, the angel said, he's gone, but he's coming back, so you've got a job to do. In the meantime, get busy and carry out this message. He told you he told you the Holy Spirit was coming, and then you would be my witnesses. And I told you that Acts chapter 1, verse 8 would be a theme verse for us throughout the entire book of, of Acts. We would see it unfold as a prophecy. And we see now, on this, this day in chapter 2, this day of Pentecost, we see the beginning the beginnings of that fulfillment with the Holy Spirit coming down to his church. But Jesus leaves. Remember, we said that Jesus leaves. He said, I'm going to leave you. We said Jesus leaves, and this is actually a good thing. It's a good thing for, for the disciples. It's a good thing for the church. It's a good thing for the kingdom that Jesus Christ leaves, and he ascends. Not only is he seated as, as the eternal king, but also as he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes down. And so now the, 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 the gospel message is just at the beginning of being carried out to the ends of the earth. So Jesus leaves. This is a good thing. The Holy Spirit will come down. And then, empowered by the Holy Spirit, his people will advance the kingdom. Don't miss that. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's people will advance the kingdom. And this really, there may be a lot of significant things that we could talk about here. But two things I just want to bring to your attention. For one, you matter. You matter. You, you are significant in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus could have taken the gospel message to the world in any number of ways. But he chose to allow the Holy Spirit to come to his people and then for his people to carry out the message. So if you are in the family of God this morning, you matter. You are significant in the kingdom of God. Regardless of what you think your skills and talents may be, your gifts, you matter. You are significant. I said that uh, God could have carried out this message in any number of ways. It wasn't for a lack of power. It wasn't for a lack of power. If, if you remember, in, according to Matthew's gospel, when Peter, you know, on, on Jesus' arrest that night, when Peter, he took the sword and he, and he cut off the man's ear, Jesus looked at him and he said, essentially, cut it out. Not, no, no pun intended, but you know, stop. Stop what you're doing. This is, this is, not, this is not the way it is. And he, and he put the ear back on the, the, the man, but he, but he said this. He said, don't you know I have 12 legions of angels that I can call at any moment? 12 legions. A legion, 6,000 angels in each legion. I have 72,000 angels that I could call down. It's not for a lack of power. If you, if, then if you read the Revelation, so just to give you an idea, you read Revelation, you know how many angels that come and, and, and take care of the earth? There are four. four. Not four legions, four. So Jesus says, I have 72,000 that I could call down. It's not for a lack of power that Jesus chose. He chose you to carry out the gospel message. That's the way that, we, that, that he wants to impact the world. It's through people like you and me. So you matter in the kingdom. The Holy Spirit comes to us. You matter. 
but also you are uniquely gifted for whatever task it is that God has called you to do. You're uniquely gifted. Nobody else has your exact composition of spiritual gifts, uh, your, your talents. Nobody has your exact world of, of influence, your realm of influence. Uh, even if you live in the same house, chances are if, if you go, uh, you, that, that you go to, to work in different places, that uh, if you're a child, that you go to a different classroom than your brother or sister goes. There's, nobody has the exact same makeup and the exact same realm of influence that you do. You matter in the kingdom of God. But let's, let's dive into this idea of Pentecost. Now, but before we talk about Pentecost, because if, if you're like me, when I hear the word Pentecost, there, there's, there's a few images that come to mind. One is what we see here in Acts chapter 2. Another is, another is like some, some other churches that I've visited, that get a little more eccentric than maybe we do from time to time. I remember a story of my nephew. He was two, maybe three years old, and he was visiting a church like this. It was unlike a church that he was accustomed to being a part of. And his aunt or great aunt or somebody was waving their hands and, and was a little bit loud, and he didn't know any better. He was standing in the pew, and he just turned around and gave her a big old high five and shouted, Woo! That's just, that, but that was, that was a part of what was going on. So sometimes we hear the word Pentecost, and maybe we think a little bit like that. But I want us to maybe deconstruct that for just a little bit. Because Pentecost didn't just start in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost was something that had been celebrated by the Israelites for many, many years. And the Old Testament is where we will we'll spend just a little bit of time. But first of all, the word penta. Let's break, let's break this down. The word penta. It's a prefix. Uh, it's a prefix that means five. Maybe you have seen it in other places like the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or pentagram, or pentagon, which is just a five-sided polygon, or a building in Virginia with five exterior walls, but penta means five. So keep that in your mind, and we'll review that in just a minute, but in, in, in Exodus chapter 23, Exodus 23, we, we, we have some descriptions of festivals from the Lord. Exodus 23 15 says, observe the festival of unleavened bread as I have commanded you, you are to eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of, of Abib because you came out of Egypt in that month. No one is to appear before me empty handed also observe the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your produce from what you sow in the field and observe the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your produce from the field. So listen, did you, did you hear me talk about did you hear me talk about Pentecost in that verse? I, I, I didn't use that, that word, Pentecost, but, but listen, the festival of harvest. It's a festival instituted by God for the people, the festival of harvest. They were to bring their first fruits from that harvest. As they brought their first fruits, it was just a, it was a sign, it was an acknowledgement, and it was a prayer that, hey, God, we're bringing you our first fruits, and we, we are, are sure that you're going to take care of us in the rest of the harvest. But it was interesting about when it happened. It was also called, in Exodus 34, it's the same festival, but it has a different name. It's the Festival of Weeks, W-E-E-K-S, the Festival of Weeks. 
it was a week of weeks, if you will, seven weeks. So seven weeks after the Passover is when this is to be celebrated. Seven weeks after the Passover is 49 days. The next day begins, the, 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 the following day begins this festival of weeks or the festival of the harvest. In Hebrew, they call this particular day the Shavuot. It's a Hebrew festival that commemorated, that commemorates the giving of the Torah on Sinai. So now I've given you several things here, but just try to picture this. So after the conclusion of the festival of the Passover, 49 days later, seven weeks later, there's another festival, the festival of weeks, the festival of first fruits. Somewhere along the way, so that, that festival was given by God, instituted by God. Somewhere along the way, the Israelites said, we're going to also commemorate the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, and we're going to commemorate it on that Sabbath day, seven weeks after the Passover. Now, did they know that that was the day that the law was given to Moses? Probably not. It's probably a lot like how we have Christmas. Somebody said December 25th sounds like a great day to commemorate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Although, as we look back historically, we think probably he was born in the spring, maybe. There's a lot of conversation. But the chances he was born on December 25th are, are very slim. I don't mean to upset anybody's apple cart this morning or your Christmas wreath. That's just, that's just the way it is. We still celebrate Christmas on December 25th. They celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai on this day of Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover. So that's Pentecost in the Old Testament. Pentecost in the New Testament. Pentecost in the New Testament. Now let's think about these first, these first few weeks after the resurrection. So we begin with Resurrection Sunday. That's day one. And then in Acts 1-3, we see that Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples. He had 40 days in which he appeared to them. And we know some of the things that he did. He ate some fish. He told them to touch his hands and his sides. He would uh, appear on a road with some disciples and then he would just pop over to a room. Uh, but he was there for 40 days with the disciples, teaching them, instructing them, ultimately giving them a commandment to go and carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. But he's there for 40 days. And then as we turn over to Acts 2.1, we see all of a sudden we're at the day of Pentecost. So let's do a little bit of math. For the day of Pentecost... 50 days after the Passover, Jesus was here on earth for those for 40 of those days. That means that for 10 days, for 10 days between the ascension and the day of Pentecost, the disciples went back to Jerusalem and they waited. As they were instructed, they, they waited for the Holy Spirit. Now, we mentioned it a little bit last week, but they they replaced Judas as one of the, you know, with one of the, the one of the disciples, they, they, they replaced Judas with Matthias, but they were together in Jerusalem, and they prayed, and they waited. Then the day of Pentecost comes. Still, in their minds, 
This is the Shabbat. This is, this is the festival of weeks. This is the festival of first fruits. So here we are, the day of Pentecost. But in the New Testament, it takes on new meaning. It takes on new meaning. This day, I believe, as I read this, we begin to see a fulfillment of a promise in Jeremiah chapter 31. This, to me, was, is, is fascinating. In Jeremiah 31, 31, 31 says this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I had married them, the Lord's declaration. Now listen to verse 33. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now I say, what a coincidence that it's the day of Pentecost that they celebrate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai that, that the Holy Spirit comes down. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. There could have been there's 364 other days that the, that the Holy Spirit could have come down, but it happened to come down on the day they celebrate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I believe it's the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31 when it says there's going to be a new day coming when the law will be written on their hearts, not on tablets, but the law will be in them. The indwelling Holy Spirit will now be, so we don't, we, do, we don't live under that law, we live under grace, but the law is written on our hearts, and we have a, we have a new covenant with the Lord God. And I believe what we see here is a fulfillment of this prophecy from Jeremiah. So, what's that all about? What does that mean for you and me? Well, let's just look at one character in this story. Let's look at Peter. Let's see if it made a difference in his life. Let's look at Peter. So the law is on your heart, okay? And it's just it's on your heart instead of on tablets. What does that mean for you? So what? As we look at Peter, well, Peter, first of all, what are some of the things we know about Peter? He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. If you remember whenever the Lord first called him, he had to, he had to throw down his nets and follow Jesus. But here's what's interesting. Even after, even after the crucifixion and the resurrection, in John 21, you can see this. It's like, it's like Peter still doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't know what to do. So what does he say? He says, I'm going fishing. <laughs> and I think that resonates with every, every. I mean, it resonates with me. Man, this is just, I, I'm tired. I, my, I'm going to go fishing. But for him, it was not just something he enjoyed. It was his job. It was his occupation. But he went back to something he knew. Even after Jesus has been resurrected and he's seen Jesus, says, I'm going to go fishing. Well, before that, Peter denied Christ three times. And you know, he said, hey, Lord, wherever you go, I'll follow. I will be there. I won't run away. I won't flee. And he says, yeah, before the, and I think it really was a rooster, not a, not a turkey, but it says, before the rooster crows in the morning, 
you will have denied knowing me three times. And of course, we get the picture of that. We see that story unfold. Three different times someone approached Jesus. I mean, uh, Peter, and three times he denied knowing Jesus. And as soon as the rooster crowed, he was heartbroken. He denied even knowing Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, and this one may be, I don't know, this, this one may, may be the most piercing to the heart. He's standing there with Jesus. And he says something that Jesus wasn't ready to hear. And he turns and looks at Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. I mean, I don't know about you, but to have the Lord Jesus turn and look at me and say those words, Get behind me, Satan. You're comparing me to the prince of darkness. You're comparing me to, really? Man, and this is this is Peter. So, this is before, however, the day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit comes down. All of these stories take place before the law is written on his heart. So let's look at him again now, after the law has come onto his heart, after the Holy Spirit has fallen upon Peter. What does Peter do? You don't have to go very far in the book of Acts to see that. Well, instead of fishing. Peter starts preaching. He just, and, and it's, it's amazing to me that just given a crowd, he just preaches. He just, he just decides that he's going to open up and tell people, about, tell people about his Lord. He's not denying him three times like he did the night of his, cruci or the, the night of his arrest in the morning before his crucifixion. Rather, he's boldly proclaiming to anybody that will listen, even, even at the temple. And he just he proclaims God's message. He's, a, he's not just a fisherman anymore. He's a preacher. It changed his heart. And not only that, man, he just, he wouldn't shut up. He just, even in, in, in Acts chapter 4, when he and John are arrested and they're told, stop doing this, he said, hey, uh, whether it's right for you to decide what I'm going to do, but I, I, I just got to tell you, I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. You can do anything you want to to me, but I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. This is the same guy who just 50 days beforehand had denied Jesus three times. Now he's saying, mm, not going not to stop talking about him. Do whatever you want to, but I'm not, I'm not going to talk about all the things I've seen and heard. Wow, the Holy Spirit has made a difference in the life of Peter. The law written on his heart has made a difference in the life of Peter. And 3,000 people get saved in his first sermon. My first sermon, I looked up the wrong reference and read the wrong reference to the people. I was 15, but still, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people get saved. The Holy Spirit has changed Peter, transformed him. The law written on his heart has done something amazing in his life. Well, that's Peter. What about you and me? So is the law on my heart? Has the Holy Spirit come to my life? What does that mean? I think about who I used to be. I think about who I am because of Jesus Christ, because of the Holy Spirit. 
And I just have a few questions as we contemplate this idea this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? The law is written on your heart. Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? He's Messiah. He's claimed to be the Son of God. In the book of John alone, he makes seven statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the shepherd. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That was important for Peter. He denied him. But after the Holy Spirit came down, he wouldn't stop talking about it. Because he says, I can't stop talking about all the things I've seen and heard. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit lives within you? I want us to walk through the pages of Scripture just fairly quickly and just to begin to understand the presence of God. So in the, in the garden, before sin entered the world, it said that the Spirit of God would walk in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve, they had this perfect relationship with, with, with the Lord. And so they had this, this awesome, just, I, I don't know what it's like because it's just, my, my life has been tainted by sin, but untainted by sin, they had this great relationship with God. Let's, let's move forward into a couple of different places. In, in, uh, in the, the, the book of Exodus, as God was leading his people out of the nation of Egypt, it said that God's presence would go before them as a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of cloud in the day. As, as Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, they were to build this, this, this box called the Ark of the Covenant. And in, in that, or, or on top of that box, as it was placed into the tabernacle, between the two uh, angels that were there on top of the box, this is the mercy seat of, of God, and God's presence would come and dwell there and, and would be in the ark as they, as they moved from place to place. As they set up the tabernacle, the presence of God would dwell there. It was a very holy place. You couldn't go in there without, without facing death. Even the high priest, even, even the high priest had some things he had to undergo to make sure he was cleansed and prepared to enter into the presence of the holy God. There's another story about as they're carrying the ark from one town, from one settlement to another. The, the ark begins to fall, and so people reach out to catch it, trying to save the ark, but they, but they were not approved to touch the ark, and so they were killed. God's presence rested in this very holy place. You didn't just casually enter into the presence of God. Now, with Jesus on the earth, we see that the presence of God rests in bodily form in Jesus Christ, and even the winds and the waves obey his voice. The demons recognize him. It's very clear for us just to see that Jesus Christ represents the holy presence of God here on this earth. But what is amazing right now is because of what happened on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down to his church. I don't know if you realize this, but you and I, if we are Christians, the Holy Spirit resides in us. The holy presence of God, we represent that to the world around us. And I don't, I don't like to think about myself as, as, as being a holy representative as the Ark of the Covenant was a holy representative of God. But if I read my Bible correctly, I, I, I believe that's what it's, what it's saying. That because the Holy Spirit resides in you and me, we are, our bodies are temples of God. And so 
is the law written on your heart? What does it mean for you and me? First of all, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? But secondly, do you believe that the Holy Spirit lives within you? And if we do, how are we reflecting the Holy God to the people around us? And do you believe that you have purpose in God's kingdom? I've already talked about this morning that because God, because God has chosen to use the church, use the people in the church to be his vessel to this world, that each and every one of us in here is significant. Each and every person in here has a purpose in the kingdom of God. You have a purpose. Jesus says that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. I can confidently look out here and say, everybody in here, you're greater than John the Baptist. You have a purpose. Are you fulfilling that purpose? Have you found that purpose? Are you pursuing the purpose that you have in the kingdom of God? What are you going to do about it? And if you do believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if you do believe the Holy Spirit lives within you, and if you do believe you have a purpose in the kingdom, then my question is this, and I ask it of myself too. Man, why don't we live like it? What would it look like if the church, what would it look like if the church really believed all these things and we lived our lives in accordance to God's word and we lived our lives in accordance to what we say we believe? What, it, what, what would it look like if the church really believed that Jesus is who he says he is. That picture we have of the ascension, that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, enthroned forever. And when he comes back, he's not coming back in a nice, quiet manner. He's coming back, just read Revelation, it's, it's awesome, on a horse, his robe dipped in blood. He's coming back as the all, I mean, just king of all. Jesus Christ has ultimate, uh, ultimate authority over everything. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do you really believe the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? It changed Peter. It'll change you. It'll change me. And do we believe that we have a purpose in God's kingdom? We're not just here to meander on this earth and, and just be born one day and then die one day and never be effective in God's kingdom. You have a purpose. Each and every person in here has a reason that God has changed your life. And it's not just for you. Carry out God's message. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The last question this morning. What, what are you going to do? If you believe these things that we said, what are you going to do? And it's a statement that you can reckon within yourself. It's a statement that you can, I would love to talk to you about. Finish this statement. I feel the Holy Spirit leading me how? In what way is the Holy Spirit leading you? Is it some great big thing? I don't know, I don't know how God's speaking to you this morning. Is it some... Some, some big thing over your whole life, maybe it's a small step this week. Maybe there's somebody that you know that just needs to hear a word of encouragement. Maybe there's somebody you know 
that just needs you to put your arm around them and say, can I pray for you today? Is there some small step you can take to help further God's kingdom? It's the power of Christ that lives within you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the law being written on your heart. Will you follow the Holy Spirit's guidance this week? Let's pray. Father, I come to you today. Man, I just love this idea that of any day in the year, the Holy Spirit could have come to the church. It came on the day of Pentecost, the day they celebrated the law being given to Moses. It came on that day. And God, that you've written the law on my heart. And that I am counted as those who are your people. You are my God. Father, but I must admit, sometimes... You know, I don't always live like the Holy Spirit is within me. There are times when, if I must confess, I hear the Holy Spirit leading and guiding, and my arrogant self refuses to allow the Spirit to lead. Father, I'm sorry. As you lead and guide this morning, may I simply be a humble follower. Father, there may be people here this morning who the Spirit's never come to them because they've never admitted that they are sinners and never never confessed that sin to you and never received the forgiveness that you offer. They've never received that grace that comes. And so, Father, they, the Holy Spirit is not within them as well. Lord, may today be the day of salvation. And for your church, Father, may we live as people who truly believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that the Holy Spirit really does live within us and that we have a purpose in your kingdom. May we follow you in all the ways that you lead. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. You can stand as we sing. The altar is open if you want to pray. Maybe you just want to pray there in your chair. However the Spirit is leading you, you respond. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love, at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and
what's in your bulletin. I know that the Awana is doing uh, OMC, and there's a little bit of difference in their in their time that they're being picked up. Um, and so, if you're not really sure what OMC is, you, you need to come and just watch, and you will you will laugh, you will have a good time. It, it it's it's awesome. We'll be out on, on the field tonight, and so we'd love for you to come and, and, and be a part of what the church is doing with our children. I think that's all. I don't know that I have any other announcements. Um, I just want to say this though: uh, you, you can go ahead and cut the feed. 